Just like that, the second hour is here. We are getting you through the next two and into your weekend. It's our goal each day. 6 p.m. Eastern, as fast as possible. Streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, X, uh, anywhere you can stream the show. We hope to be there. And search out OutKick. Hope you'll subscribe. Give us the like. Join chat in the chat as well. And on this great radio platform and partner, we say thank you. Chad, uh, college football kicking off later this weekend. We've got next week a oh, handful a of really good week. games that we are going to dive in on throughout the week. It is ball season. And uh, can't wait for football discussion. Can't well, wait th- to. By the way, Thursday night alone of next week, yeah. Florida in Salt Lake City taking on Utah. Rematch of and, last year's game. And remember game. that game. Yeah. Well, it was terrific. Utah should. I mean, everyone at one point were like, what's going on with this spread? Like, Utah, load up. And then and Anthony Richardson happened. Yeah, Florida won. And then Anthony Richardson. Uh, Didn't happen. A- Anthony Richardson happened again with the inconsistency against yeah. Kentucky yeah. the very next week. And uh, Nebraska at Minnesota on Thursday night. So uh, football is here. Pumped Where, up. Uh, former Utah quarterback. Or is he still there? Cam Rising? Yeah. He's still there. Still there, yeah. Okay, so he didn't graduate. Yeah, he's back. Man. And now uh, Anthony Richardson's not back. I think it's uh, last I checked, seven and a half. That's why I'm asking. Utah's favored by seven and a half at home at last check. I've been eyeing that line. I, um, yeah, we did last year too. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking the opposite based on last year's result. I, I, would, I would take the Gators to cover at this point. Chad, so in the ACC, and I'm, I'm pumped about football being back because it's been dominated in college football right now about conference realignment, who survives, who doesn't, who's on the move next. And, you know, last week, the discussion was about Florida State and Clemson, NC State and North Carolina not voting yes, even though Notre Dame was lobbying, trying to push for Stanford and Cal to join the ACC. Well, after the, this was Thursday or Friday of the previous week. After last weekend, reports are that you have Laura Bush, former first lady, Condoleezza Rice as well, lobbying on behalf of SMU and Stanford, respectively. Cal's along for the ride with this. And now there's another vote. And reports are that the vote seems to be leaning towards only two teams now, not the four, voting no. Florida State and Clemson will hold firm. Meanwhile, it seems as though North Carolina and NC State would be the other two. Again, that's the, that's the theory, that's the observation, not ha- what is definitive. But what has also changed are the, the numbers. So SMU is a, reportedly through Ross Dellinger of SI willing... SMU willing to not take a rights fee for a reported seven years, up, up to seven years. Which is insane. Meanwhile, Stanford and Cal are reportedly going to offer to only take around, it could, there's like a, you know, a range here, but around 30% of the tier money that ESPN, based on the rights contract, would then give more to the ACC. So in, to- in total, when you add everything up, because that would end up being about 7 to $10 million each for Stanford and Cal annually, it ends up being around $55 million in the, in the pot that the ACC will, have, will be able to distribute. Normally, you distribute that money evenly. 
But now you have Florida State and Clemson, and there are others, but Florida State and Clemson that have banged the drum about, hey, we need more of the fair share in media rights than the others. We're trying to survive here. We're keeping everyone afloat. We're the ones pulling the ratings. We're the ones winning. We're the ones with a chance to go to the college football playoff. We need our fair share. So does this just come down to how they distribute the $55 million annually? Or is this more about, well, Florida State's been so vocal here. We've got the votes to bring them in, meaning Stanford and Cal, maybe even SMU. Do we really even have to appease them right now if they're already talking about leaving in 12 months, which has been their stated goal? Not, it's not a matter of if, but when and how. How would you handle it if you're Jim Phillips? That's the biggest thing. It's not, to me, it's not about if they have enough votes. It's not what do they bring to the conference. It's about how do you distribute the money that you're going to have extra based on the additions that ESPN would be paying, which would be a tier one price for Stanford and Cal and SMU to join. And SMU's waiving their, their price tag. They're not going to take the... The, the money that the other schools would be distributing evenly. I don't care at all what Florida State uh, thinks on the additions of it, if I'm, if I'm Jim Phillips. To answer your question on that one, Hutton. Yeah, because the vote would pass. Yeah, and look, if, if they're the dissenting vote, you know, and it's just them and Clemson, okay, you know, that's fine. You've already stated publicly that you feel like you're entitled to more of a share or a higher share, more money and that you'll be looking around at options. Okay, great. And they spoke about it in the spring, too. At the spring meetings, the ACC said they were going to distribute it in a different manner. Yeah, and look, if you want to explore options of what it's going to cost you to break the grant of rights here and to do that with us, okay, that's going to be more money for us. In the meantime, we're going to try to do things to make sure that this conference is stable for the long term because there are other programs out there that are so concerned – about the future of sport and the future of college football and where they may be and finding that seat in this big national game of musical chairs that they are willing to take zero money, zero dollars for seven years or up to seven years in media rights fees. That's SMU. That may be Cal and Stanford to to some lesser extent of what they're going to take or pass on for the next few years just for future security in a major conference, and if these major conferences break away from the NCAA and form their own mega conference, they want a seat at the table. That's it. So if you're Jim Phillips in the ACC, I I cannot be concerned about a malcontent right now that is locked into my conference. They are under contract for a long time. So if Florida State wants to pay the out to get out and join the SEC, if the SEC even wants them, or Clemson wants to figure that out, have at it. But I'm making moves right now based on what's going to make all of my membership more money long-term while also securing my financial feasibility for the future. That's it. Those are the only decisions that I'm making. And if SMU, Cal, and Stanford don't bring much to the table in that regard and they're not going to add to the pockets of my member institutions, including Florida State and Clemson right now, I'm passing on them. So that's how all these decisions are being made, and that's what Jim Phillips should be thinking. And SMU, to me, I mean, they're not, they're not even asking for the 30%. Again, all being reported by uh, Sports Illustrated and, and, and others. Um, they weren't even brought up in the last vote. Reports were they weren't even discussed when they voted on Stanford and Cal. So they've come back with this. And what monetarily, it's more than just giving up on the 7 to $10 million annually, because right now uh, – 
SMU through the American Athletic Conference, they were the AAC hands out about a little more than eight million dollars a year on their television rights deal in football. Um, so they would be passing on that revenue. They've got five years left on that contract. Um, so you look at that, and it's, it comes out to around forty-one, forty-two million dollars is what they'd be passing on. Plus, unlike Cincinnati and South Florida and Houston, they because they were announced to the Big Twelve, but they didn't leave until further down the road. This would be a quick exit, and S, uh, Cincinnati, South Florida, and Houston paid around eighteen million dollars of exit fees. SMU, it's probably going to be more than that and so this is more of the investment of how do we stay alive and how do we show that we have plenty of donors with deep pockets as well and they do they have laura bush yeah smu got got at the table because all their money and their alumni and influential people that are associated with them got them to the table and yeah, called it, the ACC and said, you need to consider us. But a week and a half ago, they weren't even considered, but they were mentioned and not even brought up in the vote. That it, I, I just don't know why they held the vote the first time. It's very interesting. Going back to, uh, you know, the they rushed it. Danny White, you know, and, and Tony Elliott going back and forth. Who offered, who didn't, was there official offer or not? Normally you don't offer until you know the guy's going to accept the offer. There's one official offer to a coach yeah. in a coaching search. It's, it's probably, you don't take a vote until you have the votes, right? Yeah, it's semantics to some extent on some of this. But I think everyone just felt um, rushed and panicked yeah. on all sides because they saw right before them everything happened so quickly with Oregon and Washington leaving. First, it was the four corner schools. Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah. They left. Then Oregon, Washington, and everyone freaked out. And boards were being called and school presidents and what do we do with Stanford and Cal and how valuable are they? I think they rushed a vote on it. And now they're sober-minded, taking a little bit of time, taking a deep breath, and they're coming back to the table to vote again. I, I, I see no problem with it. The first one's probably just rushed a bit. Also, you had the uh, Washington State president who said, and he's the chair of the board of the Pac-12 and he said, uh, yeah, it was actually Oregon and Washington that left that broke us. And it was Fox that had, he's saying this, Fox is the one that lobbied the Big Ten to go ahead and add them. And I'm thinking, that's not what broke you. Yeah. It, it, all, all the Pac-12 did was sit around and point fingers. And Oregon and Washington on that Friday morning chat had allowed George Klafkoff one last-ditch effort. And he presented the media rights deal that eventually got out, which was the $25 million base. How can they continue in this Pac-4, which is really now a Pac-2, to point fingers at everyone else instead of just looking in the mirror and thinking, yeah, we, we didn't see what was coming even though everyone told us because we were told, sit tight, there's going to be a media rights deal coming. Yeah, That's I mean, what I broke think, them. I think in, if you look back in hindsight, all of them can sit and really think deeply on where did it go wrong and could we have prevented this? The answer is yes. This was not inevitable. It was poor foresight. It was poor leadership by the Pac-12. They should have done some things initially. You know, they, the Big 12 coming to them wanting to merge in some right. way and create this West Super Conference would have worked and would have secured them for the future. So they made poor decisions. They were a bit arrogant, George Klyavikov included, 
I think he overspoke and overpromised on what the market actually was bearing and what he could deliver. And because of that, there is no more Pac-12, which is not, I, I still would argue, it's not a great thing for college sports or college football that this once proud conference is no more. But this is where we're headed. If you're mismanaged, if you can't see the future, at least to some extent, then you're going to have more issues like this where conferences are going away. Chad, I think there's a quarterback that's going away, uh, but not in the near future. I think the trade in the NFL that's going to be the biggest one moving forward is with the organization that made several trades yesterday. They acquired Josh Dobbs. Arizona did. They traded away Josh Jones, their offensive tackle. They traded away Isaiah Simmons, their former eighth overall pick in 2020, to the New York Giants for a seventh-round pick in return that uh, DeAndre Hopkins retweeted, posted, or whatever, and said uh, had uh, uh, laughing emojis at, you know, their loss. I think Kyler Murray is going to be traded. I think Arizona would like that to happen. I don't think it's happening anytime soon. He continues to rehab the ACL. But if you look at, they've brought in Dobbs. We went through their quarterback crop yesterday. It's, it's not a who's who list. It's not like, oh, there's a journeyman there that's been the backup for his career. Not even that. Chad, they, they have the potential of being not just really bad, but awful. And they also have the potential of holding the first two picks in the NFL draft next April. If, they, if that's the case, you're going quarterback. You're going Caleb Williams, in theory. And what are you doing with Kyler Murray, who just signed an extension at the beginning of last year, last offseason? That's the trade that will happen. And based on what happened yesterday and knowing how this roster was not assessed much this offseason, knowing that Jonathan Gannon is the head coach and Monty Ossonfort's the first time GM there. All the moves have pointed and all the acquisitions in the draft this past year were about building draft capital for the future. Kyler Murray is available for NFL teams. Trey Lance is too, but the real quarterback that's available is Kyler Murray. And I wonder what the value is for Murray around the trade deadline of this year. Because this is every, oh, there's not going to be a team that picks up the phone for him. There's a team that picked up the phone and called Philip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger a year ago. There will be a team that picks up the phone and says, hey, how bad is Ar- Ar- Murray's about to come back? Are you sure you want to play him? Because you're going for the first two picks in the NFL draft. That would be a reason enough to see what kind of deal you could get at the deadline instead of waiting until the offseason and driving the bargain up with other teams. If you're down your quarterback. Based on the direction the Cardinals are heading right now with that roster, maybe they'd be a good option for the Pac-12 to add. Uh, they yeah. can just add the Arizona Cardinals Relegated. this year. Man, and bring Bama to the join. NFL. I, I look forward to that game in Georgia. Portland, Washington, between the Cardinals uh, led by Josh Dobbs and Washington State this year. Could be a good game. Yeah. Oregon State with DJ Uangalale, a top 20 team nationally going into it. That could be a good game for these Arizona Cardinals. This team sucks. This roster's bad. This is a fire sale. They want to finish last in the NFL. They want to have those top two picks. The best thing that can happen for the Arizona Cardinals is for a stud quarterback to get injured in week one or two. That doesn't, ha- that doesn't help them because Murray's coming off the ACL. Yeah. He's not available then. But, but I, by I the think... deadline, in, uh, by Halloween, he could be. Yeah. 
But well, they need someone to get injured during the season yeah. to where they need to make a move, and Kyler Murray is the best option available, you know, outside of Josh yes. Dobbs, who yeah. they just acquired. But uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's the best thing that could possibly happen. Because didn't the Niners call up Roethlisberger? That's what Ben said. It's just, it's so odd that they're in this situation when you see everyone that made the decisions on Kyler Murray, everything has transitioned since then. So it's a completely okay. different line of thinking now. Who would Arizona want to draft next year? Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams. Chad's take on Caleb Williams and, well, what he's going for, which is a repeat of the Heisman Trophy and the historical significance of that. That's next on Hot Mike. Glad you're with us. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on. Six the Peabody Air location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Happy Friday to you. Chad, let's, uh, let's get to the weekend, shall we? We shall. We are, uh, had Dan Dockich on earlier today. We've got you for the rest of the hour and a half talking all things ball and uh, headlines going into the weekend. Chad, uh, Caleb Williams made some headlines yesterday when he's discussing, well, not necessarily. I'm not necessarily just going to automatically declare for the draft after, after this year. He could. Drake May can as well. The expectation is they're the top two quarterbacks next year, and it's really undisputed. Caleb Williams is the number one overall pick. He's also going for back-to-back -back Heisman wins. Historical significance in that regard is rare. And he is set up to put up a ton of numbers. He's set up to dominate. How do you think it comes across as we watch him this year, Chad? This gets started tomorrow night, a late night against That's San right. Jose yeah. State. So this is, this is timely right here when we talk about Caleb Williams. They're a 31-point favorite in that game. They need to win by 62. And he needs to throw every touchdown pass in that game to get started to win the Heisman again. That's probably what needs to happen. Caleb Williams in 2022, 4,537 yards, 42 touchdowns to five interceptions. Lost one regular season game to Utah. Lost again to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. The next week, won the Heisman Trophy, then lost to Tulane in their bowl game, in their New Year's Six game. Here's what I know about the history of the Heisman Trophy and those that returned to try to win a, a second one in the more modern era. Not in the early 70s, the last time this happened and we had a repeat winner and we had a two-time winner. If you set the bar way up here one year, it's not good enough just to reach that bar again. You've got to go over above and beyond that bar the next year. Caleb Williams and this offense with Lincoln Riley and what they have returning, and they got a team that could be in the playoff at the end of the year, I think he's got what it takes to deliver even better stats than he did a year ago. And that sounds insane when I talk about 42 yeah. touchdowns to five interceptions in 2022. But I know this about the Heisman voter, and I know this about the history of college football. And this can be true about a lot of sports and a lot of things in life. We want what's next. We want the sensation. We want the transfer that went to the new school that's now lighting it up. Guess who that was a year ago? Oh, Caleb Williams, who transferred from Oklahoma. We want the freshman on the scene. We want Johnny Football that came out of nowhere at Texas A&M back in the day. Or we want to hype up the guy that's been building and building and building to break through and win that Heisman Trophy. There's a lot of things that we want to see with the Heisman. One thing that we have not wanted to see is a back-to-back -back winner. I think it's very difficult to do. One of, the, one of the most difficult things to do. Because once you win that Heisman, 
and there's so many players in college football and so many teams, it is difficult to wow anyone. Can Caleb Williams wow us again at USC? I think he can. I think it's going to be very difficult. But Hutton, in order to do so, he's going to have to go above and beyond what he accomplished a year ago statistically. And probably USC is going to have to be undefeated. Let me, I think that may okay. be what it takes for them to Let win me, it again. I need to preface what I'm saying by saying, you're right. That's how it should be. I wish you voted for the Heisman. Because Heisman voters didn't watch him last year. They don't care about this game tomorrow. He was the safest of the guys to vote. They had vote no one on. else left. If yeah. we're just being honest, Hendon Hooker was hurt and C.J. Shroud sucked against Michigan. Who are you voting for? The guy on the West Coast with ridiculous That you haven't numbers. watched but one time. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just the honest reaction I had to the, the Heisman race last year. He was the best of the rest. And that sucks. Because while, yeah, USC can go out and win 62 to nothing tomorrow against San Jose State, no, voters aren't paying attention to that. Voters are going to be paying attention whenever USC, down the home stretch of the season, is taking on Washington and Oregon and UCLA to close out the year. When they take on and host this year, Utah. That's just the honest truth about the vast majority. There are solid Heisman voters. There are way too many of them, though. You think that the, the average Heisman voter is sitting around watching as many games as they claim? Uh, yeah, they want to be wild, but they need to be wild on the national games of significance when they're actually tuned into the channel. And I guarantee you, the average Heisman voter can't tell you what channel USC and, U and San Jose State will be playing on. That's the issue. But, I mean, I also agree, like, when a, when a C.J. Stroud doesn't perform, and the other finalist was Max Duggan and Stetson Bennett, who had not been mentioned at all until Hendon Hooker got hurt. He was also a finalist. It's like the vote spread around, and Williams, who was great, he, to me, was not even close to winning the Heisman with three games to play a year ago. You know what bothers you, me? Do you agree with what I'm saying? I agree, totally. You know what bothers me about Heisman voters now? I hear from too many of them. Let me explain. Okay. Everyone's got an outlet now. Right, so writers uh, host radio shows or they make frequent appearance on radio shows or they have their own podcast or they're on a digital show somewhere. And so many people have a Heisman vote. I don't have a Heisman vote, and I'm not petitioning for one. I'm not saying that I, right. that I necessarily want one. I, okay. But when I hear from Heisman voters, and I hear, the, and I hear it all the time, I, I consume a ton of sports media. Sports talk, digital shows, TV shows, all of that. I'm watching a lot of it. And when I hear the same BS, yeah. the same national narrative, I have a Heisman vote, and I really think that Hendon Hooker needs to do this and this you know, to, to secure the Heisman. I'm thinking, I've heard that from everyone. Have a different opinion from someone else. Everyone can tell when someone is coasting by and just listening to something and then regurgitating that opinion and using it as their own. And I hear from far too many Heisman voters that when I hear the same lines over and over again, and I'm never forced to think one way or the other, it's just accepted as common knowledge, it bothers me. Well, the, I think we hear from too many Heisman voters now. Let, let me also... And they, they show their ignorance to the sport when they start talking about it. This, this is... Yes. Th this is the... I'm, I'm lumping in everyone. It's just the, it's the groupthink mentality with this. 
But here to their credit, the, the, the buzz is really created through the first half of the season. Williams was doing that, but I'm, I'm here to tell you the vast majority of those voters are watching the SEC and the Big Ten. And then but USC's schedule is back heavy. That makes sense if you're just a college football fan. But the other thing is you have the you do have the buzz that's created initially that I think for the most part is organic. C.J. Stroud was the front runner going in a year ago. Fine. There's a reason why we're, we have Caleb Williams as the front runner now. He's, he's, he's all people are talking about. Where does Drake May really become part of that discussion? May was part of this discussion too, and he didn't end up in New York. Hendon Hooker was a part of the, the, the whole talk, and that was more organic because no one was talking about Hendon Hooker in the preseason as a Heisman guy. They just were not. And, you know, now we're seeing the next step of, okay, Hooker was legitimate. Williams' numbers were there. Everyone wanted C.J. Stroud to win it. They were looking for a reason. The first half against Michigan, he's your Heisman winner. Until he wasn't. And who was left healthy, it's Caleb Williams. I'm not, again, I, I do think there are very qualified football analysts and those that love the game. I do think there are far too many voters who don't really love the game that grind it on a late West Coast game on Saturday or DVR something and watch it on a Monday because they hold a vote that, of, of significance. That's really my big beef with it. I don't think the, the final score, they can't lose. He can't you know, have a dud against San Jose State. I don't think the final score affects the voters' minds because the voters reflecting on the previous three weeks instead of the previous four months. Yeah, I mean, I, and I also think too often, like back to the groupthink mentality, we're only looking at the best player on the best teams or best two teams. Yeah. And they always get a majority of the votes because, you know, th that's the game of the week quite often are those teams but that are going one to and your two. point, though. There are the, the occasional Randy Moss at Marshall that, that, that capture the attention, right? Yeah. He doesn't win, but he's there. Like, they're. You're right. Like you, you are looking for the story. Well, line. it's it, it that happens too often. And here's an example. So I'm, I'm watching Swamp Kings right now. Tim Tebow won the Heisman in their worst year. They were nine and three while he was there. They didn't win it in 06 when he was a, a fill-in substitute for Chris Leak. Yep. Didn't win it in 08 when they won the national title. He won it in 07 as a sophomore in a year they lost three games. But I kind of like that. Because that's the year he had just absurd st stats. It's, it's, right. And he was the best player in college football, even though his team lost three games. Drake May is a great example. Yes. North Carolina might go 7-5 and five in the ACC. But Drake May may very well be the best player in college football and put up numbers that shows that. They may go 8-4. and four, They may go 9-3. and three, But is there a win total that makes Drake May more worthy in the eyes of Heisman voters? Or are we really looking at who's the best Probably. player in college football? I, I, I know, I agree. But, but, I, don't, but I don't think 7-5 and five North Carolina, led by Drake May, no. who's doing everything better than anyone else in America, has a chance at winning a Heisman Trophy. Well, what did they start? Were they 8-1 and one last year? They were they, unbeaten they got on, to a at great home. Start. On, yeah, and, and then... They fell apart late. They did. But, like, I'm not saying it's... You already know who's winning. Uh, we didn't know Joe Burrow was going to be Joe Burrow when he won the Heisman. No. But... When it's up in the air, it, it, you just go to group. We weren't talking about Caleb Williams until he was flipping off Utah. 
you know, giving the Heisman pose with his nails painted. That's when he started to get some buzz because people actually watched the game. We knew his name, and we knew he was at Oklahoma and w- went there with Lincoln Riley. But, uh, yeah, I, it's, I want the start of the season to matter, and it does for the guys who already have the – it matters for Caleb Williams that he can't lose early based on the schedule. Well, I just – I want everyone to at least, if, even if you're not up late watching USC, San Jose State, I get it. Uh, you might have something better to do. But let's pay attention to that box score. Let's go back and yeah. watch those highlights, and let's see what Caleb Williams looks like and does because – you know what they are. The Heisman campaign to win two starts Saturday night, and I just think it's got to be a complete freak show statistically for him in order to win it for a second time. I, I want to see that too. Like I, I want to pay it. And they, they the, might get there. The, the lazy argument would be, ah, he'll be benched by the third quarter anyway. They'll have their third string guy taking snaps. Well, if that's the case, like, and that may be the that's, case. But that's why they treat it as a throwaway. It's not worth. You watching. know what you can I, do as a thirty-one point favorite? You can put up some really good numbers in three quarters, <laughs> two and a half quarters. Uh, Hendon hey. Hooker's a good example of that. Look how many passes Joe Milton attempted last year in mop-up duty, but Hendon Hooker's stats were that of a Heisman Trophy winner. You're right for pretty much all the season until he got hurt in the second. And that and last was undisputed. Game. Hey, and also uh, on this USC with. A fantastic offense. They lose Addison. They lose another starter as well. They entered the. They've got the portal. They've really uh, hit the portal. They have a South Carolina transfer. They have the second leading receiver in college football over there now. Um, but the defense is really that the guy from that, Arizona. The that, transfer from Arizona is a receiver that was a big time. Thank you, stat guy. Yeah, that their defense though determines whether or not they're a college football playoff team. They were in the bottom of the FBS in nearly every category you can think of, except for turnovers forced. But that's, I mean, they have to be so much better. And think about how they finished the season in the bowl game against Tulane. And they got... Up 15 with what, three minutes to go? Yeah, and they Five couldn't do anything. And they got the label that no football program wants to get. Soft. Yes. That defense was seen as soft. Offensively, they're great. They were great a year they ago. They're going to be great again this year. But they got to be a lot better on defense. And it's one of those programs that... Everybody says, well, you just got to be okay. If you're going to win a national title, you still got to be good on defense. Now, even if your offense is ridiculous. Now, to get to 9-3, and 10-2, and two, yeah, you can just be okay at times with an offense like that and win nine games. Right. But if you're going to win a national title, even if you're you know, a, a video game on offense, you got to have a really good defense. Also, we've seen that time and time again. Uh, speaking of video games, he's, uh, Williams is not happy with the payouts for NCAA 24. They continue to say that this game is going to be released on time next year. Um, I don't know how they continue to say it based on... It, it, the initial offer was, what, $500 per player for NIL? I, I love this game. Love. I do, too. I don't play video games anymore. I would probably play this game if given the opportunity. I don't have the game console to do it. But if someone offered Same. me the game console in the game, I would definitely play it again. But this is so mind-numbing to me to think about all of the possibilities and everything they're going to have to do to make this thing work with the payouts and everything else. It's difficult for me to fathom the different levels at which they have to make this work. It's so hard now. He wants his fair share. He's like, uh, he compared with Ross Dellinger, Caleb Williams told him, he's like, hey, think about if, you know, uh, you have the straight-A student, there's another kid whose strong suit isn't school, and he gets Bs or B-minuses. How fair would it be if you had the same grade? Yeah, so he's like I. Well, and, and Caleb Williams is now in a world where he's making a lot of money for his name, image, likeness. He's not doing anything for free. 
He knows no. his value. The people working with him know his value also. Hey, his vacation schedule was legit. He's been traveling. Johnny Manziel-like. London. He walked the runway at the Paris Fashion Show. He attended an F1 race in Monaco. Threw out the first pitch at a Dodgers game. Life is good. Pays to be the USC quarterback. And that good. And a Heisman Trophy winner. Pays better as a two-time Heisman Trophy winner. More coming on Hot Mike. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on. Glad you're with us on this Friday edition. We've got plenty of uh, discussion coming up on NFL preseason, which will wrap up this evening. You've got some starters playing, some starters not, specifically at quarterback and Mike Tomlin has no problem playing his. Steelers and Kenny Pickett look really good right now as they go into week one. Their preseason complete after last night. They will face San Francisco and Brock Purdy in week one. We'll get into uh, also, Chad, how good are the Cleveland Browns really? Um, Because if you start to go through Cincinnati, who may or may not have Joe Burrow back with the calf injury, and you look around the division... And Cleveland, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh, after what we've seen this preseason, it is going to be a interesting merry-go-round of wins and losses, I think. And the schedule stacks up heavy for all four early in the year. We've got, uh, let's get weird with Davey Hudson straight ahead, but uh, weird to see Kevin Hart, not on social and doing something, but in a wheelchair. Uh which I, basically he's the same height in a wheelchair that he is in real life, Chad. I'm yeah. putting the ball on the tee here for you, but he, he tore his abdomen. Uh, do you remember when Vince McMahon ran into the ring as part of a bit in WWE and he tore both of his quads at the same time? Yeah. And he had to sit with his leg, like he couldn't move and they're live going, we can't finish what we're doing. Couldn't move. I can't imagine tearing your abdomen and it's during a challenge in a race with NFL running back Stephen Ridley. Um, that's learning the hard way. Two days ago, tying in here at Six and Peabody, bachelor party, clearly drunk, street, side street over here, sprinting and racing challengers and betting beers on who wins the sprint. Bachelor or bachelorette party? Bachelor. Bachelor party. Two dudes fell, face planted. <laughs> like, never a good idea to challenge anyone to a race no, on the at a certain age. Too. What's the age cutoff? Outside of pro I think, athlete. I, I, two things. I think around the time you turn 40, like late 30s, early 40s, okay. my doctors even said this. There comes an age. He's 44. Where over 40, you should not jump. <laughs> that like jumping in the air, every time you do it, you're risking an Achilles tear. I, I remember hearing about this with, uh, with Kobe Bryant late in his career when he had all the Achilles problems that even when you're as in shape as Kobe Bryant, you get into your mid to late 30s, jumping can be problematic for you. Sprinting is certainly problematic. I don't know if you remember this, but during COVID, so I would have been 38 at this point, I was racing my daughter, who at the time was five or six. I do remember this. And I gave her a head start in the side of my yard and trying to catch up to her, just sprinting, I pulled a quad, and then I could not stop myself, and I went flipping into the street and just slid oh. face first into the pavement. Thank God there was no car coming at the time because no one was going anywhere with COVID. Uh, and, like, three neighbors were outside and saw it, and I just went – I was, like, limping, and I'm fine, I'm fine. I got inside and said, I'm definitely not fine. They didn't help you because you weren't wearing a mask. I felt like I should be in a wheelchair. Yeah. I didn't actually get in one after that. I, I limped around for a while. 
but had strawberries on my arms. Uh, it was bad. I actually like did kind of a flip in the street to like roll over to not you know completely slide. It was it was bad. Moral of the story is it's not a great idea to sprint when you're of a certain age. Here's uh, here's Kevin Hart describing how this all went down with the injury, and Chad will tell you at least I think he'll cringe at this video uh, on the back end of this after he hears I know the pain, Kevin Hart. Yep. Well. You know, it's going to be bad. Anytime somebody starts off by saying, well, it's bad. Ladies and gentlemen, the age 40 is real. To all my men, women out there that are 40 years old and above, uh, it's not a game. Respect that age. Respect that age. Or that age will will make you respect it. I was just forced to respect it. Um, this is just a public service announcement because I know people may see me out. And I don't want you to be alarmed. But I'm in a wheelchair. Yeah. I'm in a wheelchair. Why? Well, because I tried to jump out there and do some young stuff. Tried to go out there and do some young, uh, some young man stuff, and I was told to sit my ass down. Shouts out to Stephen Wiley. I'm going to go to put this story out there before you do. Me and Stephen, we got into a little debate. This debate was based off of who was faster. Those that know me know I'm pretty fast. Stephen said, Kevin, ain't no way you're going to beat me. Stephen is an ex-NFL uh, running back, played for New England Patriots. Very good guy. I said, Steve, you can bet it. He said, bet. I said, bet. We get out there. We go run the 40-yard dash. 40-yard dash. Guys, I blew all my <laughs> Tore my lower abdomen. I, my abductors are torn. I don't even know what that is, but I tore them. I tore those two. I can't walk. <laughs> Sit my ass down. This is 44. He's going to get in the cold tub like he does for the social videos. Chad is not a fan of Kevin Hart. He's a fan of film, cinema, National Cinema Day, is apparently. Is it today or tomorrow? It's tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh, if the film included Kevin Hart, I would vote that Chad would absolutely not go to watch the movie. True or false? True. I'm trying to think I'm if, I've seen, by that. if I've seen anything with Kevin Hart. I was Hart stunned I by that when you told me you didn't like Kevin Hart at all. Like, you, you don't go, you're not a, like, it's not even like he's kind of good. You don't laugh at anything with him. No, I mean, there, he was pretty funny in that. When he, the, the one thing that made me laugh is when he did the quick look down at the, the wheelchair. Here it is. There well, you go. I, I mean, from, Here's the, the from the movie stance. I, I need to, uh, so I'm looking up his filmography right now, Hutton, because I feel like there's one thing I watched. I was like, oh, he was really enjoyable in that. It wasn't Jumanji? I, I did not see Jumanji. That, yeah, see, I, I didn't see that one. Okay. Um, I've heard Man from Toronto is good with Woody Harrelson and him. But I've not seen that. Oh, uh, Me Time. I watched that with him and Mark Wahlberg, and it is pretty funny. I mean, I wouldn't you say watched it's for Wahlberg. It's not a laugh riot, of course. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, superior to Kevin Hart. <laughs> but he was pretty good in it. I, I did enjoy that one. Me Time was good. Don't know much else that, that he's done that's good. And certainly deciding to uh, sprint in a 40-yard dash and injuring yourself that way, also not good. My injury in sprinting was more like one quad that strained. Mm. It wasn't complete tears of abdomens and uh, abdo abdominal muscles and Didn't need a wheelchair. everything else. Did not need a wheelchair after I limped for a while. Felt like I was in a car wreck when I was done and hit the ground uh, the next day. But other than that, I got through it pretty well. Chad does not believe that Kevin Hart is good. Also not good as Eli Apple. He will lead us off with Let's Get Weird with Davey Hudson. And five, four, three, two, one, zero. Talking now. All right, guys. Eli Apple having some drama 
obviously not a good sign. Now, I'm not going to air without, out. All, without Tyreek Hill. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, this guy's getting roasted by one person after another. But I'm not going to air all his dirty laundry out because it seems like there's more to it. I don't want to get into it. But the main thing, his baby mama, not happy. She took to Instagram pretty much, not pretty much. She, she's just saying she wants somebody to harvest his ACL this season. Wow. Yeah. Go, go for, for the, the knees. Go for the knees. You know, if it's a hammy, whatever. She is not happy. Destani is how I believe she says her name. Okay. Uh, but I, what, what's even fascinating, I mean, th- this woman right here now, she's upset because she's saying, like, Eli is not uh, willing to pay the necessary child support. Uh, not Again, I don't know all the details there, but what I do know is this woman, apparently, uh, this is the third NFL player she's had a kid from. Uh, I think Sports Skeeta put it out there that she has a child with uh, Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith. She has a child with Las Vegas Raiders running back Josh Jacobs and now Eli Apple uh, with the Miami Dolphins, which I guess as far as notoriety, he's definitely like, if that's the order in which they went, it's like it continually got worse for her with the NFL players she was, she was with. But what, what do you think about this? Just your baby mama going out there and just saying, you know what, just take his knees out. That's his future. But it's like if you want money from him. Yeah, it's self-defeating. Yeah. It's a self-defeating proclamation. You should want him healthy and making money. So if you win some court-ordered money, he's making as much as possible. And you can take him for what he's worth uh, with that. And saying you want his ACL harvested, when I, when I saw the headline, I was thinking, for her child? Are they going to implant the dad's uh, uber-athletic ACL <laughs> running back in the league into the child? Like, having an ACL harvested is like um, uh, when Walt Disney was frozen when he died to maybe come back alive one day, or Ted Williams, who's frozen. I, th- I thought it was for future use, not to like take it out. And go for his hammy? This is a, a woman who, while being Ty, Tyreek Hill could do that, while being With impregnated by three NFL players, clearly not a football fan herself or doesn't know the game because you don't really go for someone's hammy. Well, I, your hammy goes on your own when you pull it. But you, I, he could do that by trying to defend Tyreek Hill. I guess, but either he way, doesn't do that well. Yeah, it's just been a rough go at it for NFL cornerbacks this week. Uh, this next story. You know, Cowboys, America's team, Trayvon Diggs, even though he has done incredibly well whenever it comes to uh, the amount of interceptions he's had. I know there's a lot of talk about uh, he just still gets burned a lot. He's toast. But the story and, and his I, salary I, he has now. Yeah, I, I will. I will keep this PG, but I do just want to go ahead and put the public service announcement out there that your likes on X, formerly known as Twitter, they're public people. And so now Trayvon Diggs, his tweets are protected or his posts are protected because he ended up getting caught liking a what I can only imagine is a dominatrix uh, posting a picture where she was saying like if you'd suck it and you can just imagine how things went from there Uh, Trayvon obviously liked the post and since then we've we've not seen his tweets come back available to the public so there's a very easy explanation of this, an excuse, which while I probably wouldn't buy it, you could always say that you were scrolling through. It wasn't even in your following. It was a for you, which I guess also could uh, lead to some explanation from him, but that you just accidentally while scrolling hit the heart. Yeah. Yeah. 
and liked it. I mean, things, right? Couldn't you? Anyone could well, say that. But the, the for you aspect. That's not necessarily always – I don't think it's always it's for me. It's advertising. I know I'm on the for you scroll because I see something that's not for me that I know I wouldn't care it. So yeah. I go – I'm like, oh, I need to go to my actual Well, I'm feed. on my phone now, and I'm like, it'd be very easy for me to hit the heart as I'm scrolling sure. through on something. Yeah. Well, So instead of making his tweets – if he really wanted to just get away from it, instead of making his tweets protected, I just would have said – or like retweeted and put – you know, ha, yeah, I'm scrolling through. I don't even know what that is. It must have hit the the heart on it. Made a joke out of it. Yeah, and... That's the way to handle it. If you're him, too, you could be like, listen, I got a lot of people that handle uh, different social media accounts. Uh, I'm going to get to the bottom the of whoever it was that accidentally liked this Roll post. Roll over but, on your own social media yeah. team. That's another good way to handle it. I was hacked. Um, speaking of, of a rough day, our final story comes to us from Perkins, Oklahoma, guys. But, I mean, Chad, you got kids, but this one teacher... Uh, police were notified she was not acting normally. She ended up blowing two times the legal limit, uh, had wine in her cup while teaching these kids. A lot of people, you know, they're going at the teacher saying, like, why would you show up drunk? Uh, which, I mean, the, the problem is she, she drove there, and obviously she had been drinking from the night before, but yeah. one could argue the kids led her to it. <laughs> That's the problem. I don't know how teachers do it. First off, like I'm sure there are teachers that go home and put a few back to just get through the day, especially with little bitty kids when they're teaching them all day. Um, but this takes the cake. When you've got wine in your cup in class, I didn't have a single teacher growing up that uh, I ever suspected of being intoxicated. No, not being intoxicated, taught. And no. I think I might have just said two times legal limit. She actually blew – it was three times because it was a point two four. So Wow. Uh, you know what, though? Going back to just like – think about being like – a very specific, like a heart surgeon, brain surgeon, that could you could be called in at any moment. Is there any night where you can like actually just let loose? If you're very, you are one of a very handful of specialists that can pull off the operation. If you remember in the show Lost, there was a whole plot line where the main character, Jack Shepard, played by Matthew Fox, yeah. his father was doing surgery and he was drunk. And he got called in after having drinks for but dinner like, or lunch. Even and he got called day, back, like, remember? Yeah. I mean, I, and his son had to pull him off and go in and do the surgery for him because he saw his hand shaking. Yeah. He could smell it on him. If so, you feel like crap the next day, that's not good either. You know? That's not what you want when you're under the knife. No. Uh, not what you want as a teacher either. Not, not, what, not what I'd want for my third grader either. Yeah. Kimberly Coates. And she'll never teach again. Yeah. Kim K. Coming up. Mugshots and the most famous. How would we approach a mugshot as well, Chad? We'll have to discuss that when we return.